Good morning. My name is Stuart Mazel. I am the lead pastor here, and it's great to see all of you here this morning. And thank you to those of you who are joining us online. And just a quick word, I really appreciate that we have the technology to allow you to be able to join us online. And I know that sometimes there are people who aren't able to come to a service like this. And, um, and it's, it's a great resource for you. Uh, but I would also encourage, if you are able to come, we would love to see you actually in person here because uh, God's people need to be together. And the more we're together, the, the better things are for us. So that's just an invitation to any of you who are able to come but just not coming. Thank you for joining us this way, but we would love to see you in person. Well, we are starting a new series today. We've entitled this series, What Child Is This? It's uh, getting us ready for the Christmas season and trying to um, work through. We say we celebrate Jesus during this time. We say Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay, but what child is this? Who is this baby that was born that we celebrate? And why do we celebrate him every year the way that we do? So we're going to spend some time just looking at Matthew chapter 1 for a few weeks in just one verse, and then we'll move on to some other parts of the chapter. Uh, but today we're looking at Matthew 1, 1, just that first verse. And here's what uh, Matthew wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you please give us wisdom? Would you, by your Spirit, open our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus? To see him afresh and anew. That, as we talked about last week, that we would gaze on him and find ourselves transformed. And, and Father, I ask that if there's anything that's blocking that gaze today, whether unbelief or anything else, Holy Spirit, that you would remove whatever would block our vision of the goodness and, and grandeur of who Jesus is. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Idi Amin. I think we have a picture of him. I bet you didn't think that the sermon was going to start this way, did you? Idi Amin. During the 1970s, he was a military dictator in Uganda. And he is considered one of, one of the most ruthless, brutal dictators in all of history. He was guilty of all sorts of human rights abuses, such as ethnic persecution, political repression, imprisonment, torture, and execution of his own people, sometimes for no good reason at all. It is estimated that he had uh, 100,000 to 500,000 people killed under his regime. That's huge. Now, the reason I'm bringing up Amin is because of a strange fact of history that he gave titles to himself. I don't know if you knew this or not, but he gave an immensely long 
title to himself. In fact, this is actually recorded from the BBC, so if I got any of this wrong, it's the BBC's fault. Here is the, his title that he gave himself. His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Haji Dr. Idi Amin, holder of the Victoria Cross, the Medal of Distinguished Service Order, the Military Cross, and Commander of the British Empire, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the sea, and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general, and Uganda in particular. Later on, apparently, he called himself the last king of Scotland, which I don't even know if he ever went to Scotland. The man was clearly a little bit off. Amin gave himself those titles, several of them absolutely fabricated out of thin air. But titles are supposed to mean something, right? When you give a title to someone, like when you say, Dr. So-and-so, that's supposed to mean something. And, and he, what he did was he gave those titles a bad name. He made a mockery of titles. They're supposed to give accurate information on the person holding the title. Well, in this sermon series, I want to talk about someone who was given specific titles, but they weren't fabricated, they were factual. They're not artificial, they're authentic. They're not self-bestowed, but they were bestowed on him by the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, we're talking about Jesus. And today, we're going to be looking at one of the titles of Jesus from this verse that we just read, and it's probably not the first one that you think of. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. We see that in Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, contrary to what some people think, Christ is not a last name. Christ is a title. Now, what we're, we're not used to seeing titles at the end of a name. You know, when we say Dr. Smith or Mrs. So-and-so, what we do is we put the title at the very beginning. So we don't usually see a title at the end of someone's name. In the New Testament, 139 times Jesus is called the Christ at the end. But 88 times it's switched the way that we normally think, Christ Jesus. But Christ is a title. And we see that very clearly in 1 John 5, 1, where John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, see there's a title there, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So this is a title that was given to Jesus. He is the Christ. The real question is, what does that title mean? All right? So let's walk through this very briefly. The word Christ is the equivalent of the word Messiah. And both words mean anointed one. Okay? I don't know if you knew that or not. 
But the word Christ is really the Greek word that is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah, and both words mean anointed one. We see this right in Scripture. Uh, John 1, verses 40 and 41. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So we see that Messiah and Christ, they're basically the same thing. And both of them mean anointed one. But one of the things that I think that most of us probably don't know is that the word, the Hebrew word for Messiah is all over the Old Testament. In fact, the very first time the word Messiah is mentioned, anybody have a guess? It's in that well-read book, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4. Verse 3. And it's used in a way that you wouldn't think. Because it's, here it is, if it, Leviticus 4.3, if it is the anointed, the Messiah, priest, who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then, etc., etc. All right, so the first phrase, if it is the anointed, that is the word Messiah there. And it's referring to a priest. Not some you know, special person that's coming sometime in the future. It's talking about a priest right then and there. You see, priests were anointed for service. They were anointed with oil. When a priest would be called into ministry, they anointed that priest with oil. And then they served as a priest. But we also see the word Messiah used not just for priests, but for kings. For example, 2 Samuel 23, 1. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed, the Messiah, of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So David is called a Messiah, not the Messiah, a Messiah, not the way we think of Messiah, but basically what that means is he was anointed. David was anointed with oil as king to serve as a king. But we also see that sometimes prophets were anointed, and we see this in 1 Chronicles 16, 22, among other places. There's a parallel here. Touch not my Messiah ones, my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. In other words, don't mess with my spokespeople, the prophets, because I have anointed them for that purpose, to speak on my behalf. That's God speaking. So these, all three of these people, the prophets, the priests, the kings, they were anointed with oil for a purpose. So the Messiah, the anointed one, was someone who was ordained by God for a special purpose. And he was anointed in a specific way. In fact, we see a little bit of glimpse of that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, when we read, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, that's Messiah, 
a prince, there shall be seven weeks and then 62 weeks and it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Lots of stuff we could unpack there, but the main point here is that this verse was seen as one of the first places where we see the word Messiah referring to someone who was coming, who wasn't there right then and there. This is the coming specially anointed, ordained by God person to do a specific purpose. And we're saying that Jesus is that person So what was Jesus anointed to do? What was Jesus' specific purpose? And we can summarize it this way. Jesus was anointed, not by oil, but by the Holy Spirit, to deliver sinful people from their sin. Look, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what we celebrate all the time. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit to deliver us, sinful people, from our sin. In uh, Acts 10, 38, we read, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Here's a fun fact. You know, throughout history, God has anointed people with the Holy Spirit. He anointed Moses, for example. He anointed people who helped build the tabernacle. He anointed David with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit in a specific way, in a way that is very different than everybody else. In fact, Jesus was so anointed by the Holy Spirit that he is very set apart from everyone else. In fact, Jonathan Edwards catches this in his uh, notes on the Bible when he's talking about this. He says, the Spirit of God never dwelt in any other creature in any wise as it dwells in the man Christ Jesus. For in him he dwells without measure, on which account also he is called Christ or anointed. Do you you hear what Jonathan Edwards is saying there? The Holy Spirit dwelt in Jesus without measure. The very power of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, dwelt with Jesus in such a way that there was no way to even measure just how anointed Jesus was. In fact, Jesus, in one of his first sermons, a passage that has become very important to me specifically, Luke 4. Jesus is in the synagogue, and he is given the scroll to read, and he opens up the scroll, and he's reading from Isaiah, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And later on in that chapter, he sits down and everybody's looking at him and he says, this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing today. In other words, he was saying, the guy that Isaiah was writing about, I'm that guy. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. I'm the one who's anointed. I'm the one that's proclaiming good news to all who are poor. Poor financially as well as poor spiritually. I'm the one who has been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those who are captive by man-made things and those who are captive to sin. And even recovering of sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed. I'm the one who's going to bring that about. Christ, the Christ, Jesus, the Christ, is the deliverer. He is the rescuer. He is the one who liberates captives. He is the one who restores God's creation. He is the one who will make all things new. He is the one who will put an end to what is wrong with our sinful world. But do we believe that? Yeah, 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 Jesus is the Christ. Got it. I've heard this every single Christmas. Sing, sang the hymn, you know, put up a little nativity, came to the Christmas Eve service, got it. Tell me something new. Is that where we are? <laughs> I, I can tell you that that's what I struggle with as your pastor every Christmas, every December. What can I say that they haven't already heard? And thankfully, I had a conversation with one of you this week that reminded me that, you know what? I don't have to give you something new. I have to remind you of what is already true that we tend to forget. Because oftentimes, we don't think we need a deliverer. We think we can do it on our own. And even when we do think we need a deliverer, we look to the wrong things. How many of us think that if we could just educate people enough, our problems would be resolved? Just more education will resolve all the issues in our world. I hate to tell you, but some of the most famous serial killers in our nation we're highly educated. So I don't think education is going to do it. Some of us tend to lean more on government. If we could just get the right people in office, if we could just get the right laws passed, if we could just get the Supreme Court packed the way we think it ought to be packed, then things will be better. Well, things might be better, but you know what? Politics and government has a way of kind of going up and down and up and down. And so even if you get everything the way you think it should be, within a generation, it'll probably go the exact opposite direction. And then we're only talking about one nation. What about the whole world? Why are we so fixated on American politics when we're talking about what the whole world needs? Some of us think if we can just get society to, you know, live by the rules that we already say, then we'd be a better place. Some people think, well, if science, science has the answer. Let's, let's study the genome. Let's, let's figure out DNA. Let's figure out, and then we can fix everybody's problems. And then in our, in our society, we've 
And I think it's a good thing that we moved in this direction, so don't hear me saying something bad about this. I think it's good that we moved in this direction, but I think sometimes we go too far. That's normally what we do. Psychology and counseling. Sometimes we think we could resolve everything if everybody would just go to a counselor and have somebody to talk to and talk through their problems. That would be helpful, but it's not going to resolve the problem. You know why? Because in every one of those things, whether it is the government, whether it is education, whether it is society, whether it is science, whether it is psychology, whatever it may be that we look to to deliver us from the problems that we're having, we are treating the symptom rather than the disease. Imagine, if you will, having stage four cancer. You get diagnosed and you say, oh, wow, well, I guess I need to go to my doctor and find out what I need to do next. And you go to your doctor and you say, hey, I've just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And the doctor says, wow, that's, that's awful. What kind of uh, symptoms are you having? well, I got this pain right here. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on some Pepsid and Tylenol and you call me in the morning, okay? That, that, that's not going to be good enough, is it? That's just treating the symptoms. No, what you're going to do after visiting with that doctor, you're probably going to go, no, 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 no. I need more than that. Maybe I should go to Mayo Clinic. Maybe I should go to Johns Hopkins. Maybe I should go to MD Anderson Cancer Center, which apparently is the best cancer center in the entire world right now. And I need to be delivered from this cancer, right? I need to be rescued from this cancer. I need to be set free from the tyranny of this cancer in my life because it is going to take over everything in me. I need a physician who will actually take care of the disease and not just the symptoms. Have I got great news for you? Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be that deliverer, to be the great physician to what ails you. And you don't have to go find him. He came to you. As we read in Matthew 1, 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, that's the real enemy. That's the real disease. That's the real problem that ails our education, that ails our society and government, that ails our psychology, that ails us. Because each and every one of us have a sin problem. Sin, it distances us from God. It breaks down some of what we're supposed to be so that we do not reflect the glory of God. Each one of us were made in the image of God. We are to reflect who He is. And yet, each one of us falls short of that. Each one of us, sin has so encamped itself in us that we just can't get rid of it. How many of you have struggled with something and you go, I'm going to beat this. And then two days later, you're right back where you started. You don't need 
a couple of Tylenol to treat some symptoms. You don't need some kind of, uh, something that will just make you feel a little better in the moment. You need a deliverer. I need a deliverer. We need the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was anointed for this specific purpose to save his people from their sins. And he saves by putting on flesh, by becoming just like us, by being willing to obey everything his Father says for 33 long, excruciating years. And then being willing to go to a cross. To be nailed to those pieces of wood. To have people mock him. To have people spit on him. To have his blood shed. And then to die. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords did that for me, for you, for people all over the world. And yet he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead and gives new life to all who believe in him. That, my friends, is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Not just the baby in the manger, but the baby who grew up and died and rose from the dead to give new life to people, to save them from themselves, to save them from their sin, to save them and rescue them, to deliver them from what really ails us. So your action point for today, and this is very simple. Believe. Believe in and celebrate Jesus as the Christ. Believe in Jesus as the Christ. Do you really believe this? And I know in this room, many people are going to say, well, of course I believe that, Stuart. I mean, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but Monday morning, do you believe Jesus is the Christ? And he came to rescue you from your sins. Wednesday night, when you're having that argument with your spouse, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ and he came to rescue you from your sin? Friday morning, when you are dead tired, you're tired of work, you're tired of life, you're tired of your family, you're tired of everything, and you wish you could just go and sit in front of the TV and do nothing but veg to get away from it all. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ who came to rescue you from that kind of existence and give you life abundant? I think we believe, but I also think we need to pray that prayer, help my unbelief. I believe but I also have some unbelief there. I also have some hardness of heart. I also have these issues, these things that I just can't get to the full-fledged belief. So let's believe 
Believe. And if you think, well, I can't believe on my own. You're right. There's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and you can be too. There's a beautiful passage. I didn't put it in this one. It just came to my mind. <laughs> but where Jesus, actually, where Jesus actually says that you, our Father is a good Father, and He knows how to give good gifts to His children, and one of those gifts is the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to be able to believe, and Jesus, the Father, He will give you the Holy Spirit without measure, just like Jesus had without measure. Do we believe that? If we don't, then why do we think God's going to answer that prayer? Let's believe. And then, secondly, let's not just believe it, but let's celebrate it. I'm going to say something that I know is going to get me in trouble, and that's okay for today, because i got a whole month to make up for it. I'm going to put it strong here, but we say we celebrate Christmas. I think that's wrong. We don't celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christ. And Christmas is just something to help us celebrate Christ. Do you hear me? Christmas is not its own thing. Christmas exists because Christ and we get that backwards. And we lose sight of what is really important. We're running around so busy buying gifts and going to see Santa Claus and doing all these things. And we miss the Christ, the one who came to deliver us. Folks, don't celebrate Christmas. Celebrate Christ. That's what we need. That's what I need. And I'll tell you, you can pray for your pastor because December is almost always a difficult month for me. And part of it is this tension I feel. That I know everything is about Jesus and yet I feel pulled, pulled away from the Christ by all kinds of things. Pray for me that my focus will be on the Christ, not on all the other things that distract me from what's really important. And if you pray for me that way, I, I guarantee you, I'll pray for you that way too. Because there's great joy to be found in Jesus. Much greater joy than anything we've ever experienced. Every year, and I, I'll end with this, every year, Donna asked me, what do you want for Christmas? And for the last few years, you know what I've said? I don't know. I don't know. Because I've had enough years now where I get a present and I'm so excited about that present. It's just so wonderful. And then a few days later, it's like, oh, that was nice. What can I get next? And it never ends. And I've realized that about myself. It used to be I always asked for books. Always, because I love books. 
And I've finally gotten to the place now where Donna will say, do you want to go to the bookstore? And I'm like, no, I don't. I've got more books than I can possibly read in my lifetime. And they just don't satisfy. Jesus satisfies. That's why we believe in Him. That's why we celebrate Him. And that's where we find great joy. So folks, let's find great joy in our Deliverer, Jesus the Christ. And let's do so as we partake in the Lord's Supper, as we sing, and as we go out into the Christmas season. Let's celebrate Jesus the Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us to focus. Help us to see that you really are the Christ. The one who is not only our prophet, our priest, and our king, but you are the one that's been set apart, anointed by the Holy Spirit to save us, to deliver us from the mess that we make of our own lives, from our own sin. And even for those of us today who don't believe, Lord, would you, by your Spirit, cause them to believe afresh? For those of us who believe and yet we know there's doubt there and hardness of heart, Lord, soften us and help us in our unbelief to really believe. And even for those of us who just believe 100% right now, continue us on that path that we would not lose sight of the glory and goodness of you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.